0: All right, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. My guest today is Lindsay Juris Rosner. It's Rosner Rosner. Rosner. Rosner, I fucked that up. And I mostly, I, you know, there was a, I had a professor in law school, Posner, and I just sort of keep, like, in, in inverting it in my mind.
1: By the way, there's, like, a random family story that I think the last name was Rosner, but then there was an e dropped when my family came in through um, immigration. Yeah. So you're not wrong. All right.
0: So, yeah, I've got it. <laughs> it
1: it <laughs> was at one point Rosner. So
0: <laughs> you're the founder and CEO of a really interesting company called Wealthy. And it seems to me, you know, when I meet with founders – there are times you're like, oh, this person experienced this thing, said this is a totally fucked up way, and you could make money doing it better, and then they went out and created it. Did that happen to you?
1: Totally spot on. So, yeah, I um, my personal story was the driving, kind of founding story of the business. I was involved in my mom's care for 28 years. Um, she passed away about, actually, five years ago in one week, okay. um, and... It was so impossibly hard managing my mom's care. Um, you know, it, she got diagnosed when I was nine years old. So as a kid, it was more just like, you know, I was conscious that she was a little different. And she started to use a Keen and a Walker and stuff. And then I moved home after college to live at home and take care of her. And I would get her up in the morning and help her on and off the toilet and help her get dressed. And I would go into the office and come home throughout the day, sneak home, right? And I did that for years and that was my life, right? Like I worked and I took care of my mom. I had no other life.
0: Yeah, and that must have also and just been totally different than everyone else you different. knew. And, and alienating and isolating and so many, so many bad things.
1: That that's the thing is it you know, it's not cool to talk about, right? Like I wasn't gonna go out with my friends and talk about, you know, how hard it was to wipe my mom's butt, right? So, like that's right. not a comfortable conversation in yeah. our society. And so yeah. I kept it secret for the most part and i reached a point of burnout in my in my kind of later 20s i moved out of the house and i took care of my mom from afar which was frankly like as stressful right like last minute phone you know last minute flights and yeah. red eyes and finding out she was in the hospital like you're always waiting for that phone call yeah. that something's happened and you know she went through a lot hospitalizations and special surgeries we hired and fired all different types of in-home aides and in-home care and you know i thought to myself you know English is my first language. I have a master's degree, and I have I have some savings. You know how how do other people do this? Yeah. And the truth is that it's crippling for families. Families experience bankruptcy, and you know massive family fights, and it's a lot of times around these family care issues.
0: So what's the what what was the solution that you came up? With?
1: So what we built, oh, so so the kind of nugget of inspiration I had is that I felt like what was really missing from long-term care in our country today was the notion of effectively kind of project management, you know, which we know from business. But it's the same concept of like, you know, for complicated topics, like, you know, managing your finances, you hire a financial advisor, right? For managing your taxes, you hire a tax advisor, A wedding, right? You hire a wedding planner. And yet for long-term care, families are essentially on their own, stitching together a fragmented, complicated system, um, figuring out how to pay for care, what the appropriate care is for their loved ones. And care continues. You know, the average length of a caregiving situation is four years with 25% of care situations lasting for more than 10 years. And so this is not just like a, you know, quick and easy. It's not hospice. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so the notion that we, you know, got focused on was that what families really needed was a partner, a project manager, someone who could provide expertise and guidance, but also help get things done again, kind of analogous to, you know, working with a financial advisor.
0: And this person like has what, kind of social workers? Like what's their qualification? So
1: that's what we, that's what we discovered. So I did a lot of early work to try to identify this, to, to try to identify the skilled workforce that would be appropriate to help families. And it's, we, we identified social workers. Now, the way that social workers are trained is not in the wealthy way, as we refer to it. You know, we we focus a lot on training and certifying folks for kind of a real customer service kind of orientation. Um, but social workers are kind of natural project managers. They're really good at resource navigation, right, and understanding the system and helping people get things done and advocating for, for families. And so, they are the right workforce. And so we employ a lot of social workers. And
0: do they know that, do you need to know the system to be effective here?
1: Yeah, well, we've realized, so we, So as our platform has scaled, we now have 2 million um, covered members, so people who are eligible for, for wealthy. So as we've scaled, we've sort of developed this service delivery model that pairs families with dedicated care coordinators, these social workers. And then we have entire teams of people who are experts and they're functionally organized. So we have a Medicare team, a Medicaid team, we have a veterans team, in-home housing, financial, legal, and a generalist team. And so our care coordinators are interfacing with families and serving that role as project manager. Our care advisors are doing the research, making the phone calls, providing the recommendations back to the care coordinator, and all that happens through our technology platform that routes tasks to the right Right. people.
0: And so early on, because everything you just described is a pretty operationally heavy lift, especially compared to like a SaaS business or whatever else. How'd you do it?
1: Yeah, just one foot in front of the other, right? We started with a lot of social workers who actually worked for us as independent contractors, Mm -hmm. um, really learning sort of the ways that they were used to working with families you know, putting ourselves, doing heavy, heavy customer research to figure out kind of what experience families would want and then evolving our model for, you know, focusing on quality, excellence, um, and then kind of using economies of scale. Like, how do we learn something over here with this family and make sure that we don't have to relearn it across the country with this family? Um, so we do that with
0: yeah. tech that we've built. Right, so that works. So let, let's go to the macro for a second, which yeah. is, I think most people listening are aware that we have a population that's aging. these pain ass baby boomers are all still around. Yeah. People are living longer, the medical care is better. Um, but but clearly, look, you've you've raised a ton of money, so you have made this pitch many, many times. Why does the macro climate favor this type of business?
1: Yeah, listen, there is no long-term care infrastructure in our country today, right? Um, 90% of long-term care is handled by families, which is actually like kind of shocking, right? Most people think, oh, you get older and you go to some facility somewhere, right, and right. people take care of you. That actually doesn't happen. Um, families take care of their family members. And so what what's happened in our country is that, as, to your point, as we have more people aging, people living longer, with more complicated care needs, um, right. that burden of day-to-day care management you know, m- making sure that older adults have food and are in, in a safe environment and, you know, some sort of socialization, right? Um, th- that all falls on family members. Yeah. And so the impact that that's having is actually on the workforce. This is actually a workforce issue because we see every day, especially women who are um, oftentimes in the role of a caregiver for yeah. a family member, They are really struggling, especially sandwich generation um, women, women who have kids in the home. They have parents, maybe in-laws who are dealing with complicated care needs. And they're trying to further their own career. And something has to give. It doesn't all work. And unfortunately, what we see is people stepping out of the workforce to prioritize care, which seems really, you know, there's definitely something really wonderful about that, you know, prioritizing family. The problem is not for employers. It's very it's very <laughs> yeah. challenging for employers, especially yeah. employers that want to retain yeah. and advance women. It's very challenging for women who step out to re-enter the workforce. There's lost lifetime wages, mm-hmm. um, and not to mention kind of a loss of personal identity and career and all the things that come with you know being in a job that you love and and advancing your career.
0: Yeah. So give me the like. So my parents in their late 70s. So yeah. far, they're they're doing fine, but. At some point, that'll change. And I go on Wealthy, and I download the app, and I sign up. What are you guys actually doing for me? What happens? Yeah, so, well, first of all, the
1: sign-up process is important. So you'll sign up. You'll share a little bit about your situation, Um, you know, your parents' conditions and um, some of the things that are on your mind. Maybe it's a transition out of their home or whatever that might be. We're using that information you share in the sign up to match you with that best fit care coordinator. Um, So we have a real time kind of matching system that matches you with that person. And that's gonna be somebody who has experience, really understands, for example, helping people with older adults or helping people with children who have autism or whatever the specific needs are. And then that care coordinator is either just through messaging or you can do a call or a conference call with multiple family members getting to know your goals, your situation, your needs, setting up a plan uh, within the wealthy system so you can see in your kind of wealthy account, you know, the tasks that are being set up for right. you. And then the wealthy team is going about getting things done for you, doing the research, coming back to you with options, making recommendations, and then setting up the resources, finding that right fit in homemade, yep. helping to make a transition into an assisted living facility and all of the you know m- the move details that come along with that. Um, so really, acting as a concierge and supporting your and family. what about
0: all the stuff that's not physically required, but like you got to get enrolled in Medicaid or you, you have to your state plans have to change or whatever it is.
1: All of it, all of it, yeah. So we help families. I mean, what's so what was so striking to me early on in building Wealthy is, you know, I thought we were just helping people navigate care Mm -hmm. you can't decouple care from family finances everybody comes to us saying what is the appropriate care for my loved one and how do we pay what does medicare cover are we do we qualify for medicaid my dad served you know 50 percent of people in this country today who are eligible for veterans benefits aren't receiving them because it's very hard to um, to qualify there are a lot of hurdles And so we will just handhold families through the process of understanding what are the right financial aid programs that can help support them.
0: So what percentage of the customers are employers compared to individuals?
1: Oh, it's like 99%. Almost all of our clients, um, almost all of our revenue comes from employers, although that's starting to shift. We are starting to work with health plans
0: Um, Right. Yeah. For the same. I mean, theoretically, the same notions behind preventative health care apply to you, too.
1: That's right. That's right. And it's interesting. Health plans care about caregiving for slightly different reasons than employers. Employers care about retention, especially retention of diverse talent, um, reducing leaves of absence, which are really um, disruptive. Health plans care about... Uh, Caregivers have 26% worse health, more likely to be obese or suffer from substance abuse, less likely to do preventative care visits, right? It's the old, like, put your gas mask, you know, on yourself first or whatever. You know, caregivers are more likely to take care of their loved ones and put their own care needs aside. And so that's something that health plans are starting to tune into in a bigger way.
0: So it it seems like more broadly, we have this population boom where people are living longer. That's a good thing the, at least the ability of science and and medicine to prolong your life and treat things, that's extent. That's a good thing. And yet there's not really much in the way of public policy around how do we deal with this? What should we do about it? So two questions. One is, why is that the case? And two, on this podcast, I like to give guests a, a magic wand and say, "Okay, Lindsay, you're in charge of the entire US government. Whatever you say goes, we just want to have the best outcome for the most people. What should they do?
1: Yeah. So to the first question, you know, it's, it's funny, like caregiving, the topic in general, you know, I think caregiving, the category is a couple of years behind mental health. Like you think about where mental health was a couple years ago, it was stigmatized. It was kind of like not something you discussed openly, you know, caregiving feels like that. It's invisible work. That's the problem, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, I mean, that's changed a little bit through the pandemic. Um, And it's funny, like, the healthcare I, I still talk to healthcare investors all the time and they're like, Oh Lindsay, that's cute. You're focused on caregivers, but what about the medical needs? So like healthy the healthcare system focuses on what happens in clinical settings, right? And that's a lot of like where the attention goes from a policy and a you know payer perspective. But we see, you know, the bulk of kind of managing care happens outside of clinical settings and in the home and right. it just doesn't get seen, recognized, celebrated compensated, right? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I could talk about larger kind of reasons, but I I think that's
0: changing. So what would you change to fully recognize everything that it takes to go into it and make it as easy as possible on people to deal with it?
1: I mean, if I could weave a magic wand, I would love to have wealthy provided. I think wealthy is – I think the work we're doing is a public good. I would love to have wealthy provided to – all Americans right um just like you know a public defender is right um so th- you know some sort of broader access to wealthy so that's number one ask but if I could wa- wave a magic wand and have additional asks I mean we need more care providers we just see shortages across the board and we've seen that uh increase through the pandemic people have stepped out of careers in-home care providers you know people who work in long-term care facilities
0: did the did the kind of policies in the previous administration that were anti-immigration impact this because people who do those types of jobs weren't coming into the country
1: i don't i don't know i don't know I, i haven't seen any data on that i don't know if that's the case what we saw through the pandemic that impacted the supply side so care providers is that um you know a lot of families weren't comfortable having people come into their home um kind of you know, through 2020, when, you know, it was the beginning days of COVID. um, We saw long-term care facilities shut down, reduced staff, and a lot of those workers just haven't um, gone back to those jobs. They've taken other jobs.
0: Do you remember, you're a New Yorker, uh, when COVID kind of first started, there was a decision by Andrew Cuomo to not move people from nursing homes into hospitals. And there was a view that that killed a lot of people. I, I wasn't really sure. They certainly bungled their yeah. handling of it, and then they tried to cover it up and all the usual shit, and that's why he's no longer in office. But in terms of the actual policy question, which was like, should you basically consider a nursing home bed sufficient enough to treat somebody, or should all these people who are you know towards the end of their lives be taking up hospital beds that younger people could have instead? What was the right answer?
1: I mean, I think... I think uh, my personal view is that you know nursing homes are, are still the better. Place. I mean, hospitals are really problematic for older adults because yeah. there are so many kind of germs, and we've seen. I mean, we saw through the pandemic. I mean, we have see we see this all the time in our business. You know, ner- um, these long term care facilities, nursing homes, will bring people to hospitals. Um, these older adults to hospitals, and. Because of transportation issues, will like leave them sitting there for hours, like by themselves in waiting rooms, or even after they're discharged, and there's just not great kind of transitions of care there. It's, it's just problematic all yeah. around. But what we saw through the early days of the pandemic, the biggest issue that nursing homes faced is they weren't communicating well with families and residents right. on, you know, when when there were um, how to protect themselves when there were incidents, you know um, and when there were
0: issues. Are there, does wealthy also sort of serve as sort of an app? So let's say someone goes from the home into the hospital or a nursing home. Would people continue to work with wealthy and say, okay, I want you to keep an eye on my mom and make sure she's getting the best care or getting everything she needs. Do people do that?
1: We've seen some of that. Yeah. Or working with in-home care and saying, you know, could you help manage, right? Just making sure, you know, they're staying on top of what, you know, getting dad to the dentist on a regular basis or whatever right. kind of the tasks are we do get involved some sometimes there and then unfortunately we see very you know we we see awful situations where we get involved to help with a transition between facilities because there's um you know accusations of neglect or abuse yeah. and helping yeah. families properly report that and um so yeah we we, we I, I say that wealthy serves as kind of expert advocate partner we become almost a family member for some of the families we support
0: so what could government if again with your magic wand have said hey do a b and c what would those policies be would they be tax credits Would they be mandates what would it look like
1: yeah i mean i would love to see um you know that we we talked about this a little bit but there's now states are now um uh, providing some um, in, income replacement, basically, yeah. for families who are um, providing care to loved ones. Um, I'd love to see that same, you know, money going toward individuals who are also working full time and caregiving full time. So that's one. Two, just better funding for long term care support. You know, like, you know, better support and um, uh, training and benefits for in home care providers more innovation and better options for long-term care facilities and different types of kind of communities, um, and then broad-based access to programs like Wealthy to provide families with advocacy and navigation support so that they're not going through this by themselves.
0: Right. In many ways, the, the child care tax credit that didn't make it through in the Build Back Better yep. is sort of the, it's like a mirror of this in many That's ways. That's right. right. That's right. And, but what you're proposing, which I think is kind of cool, is like, look, you don't actually have to have a trillion-dollar federal bill to do this. Yeah. here are things that states could do, cities could do, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that start to make a difference in people's lives.
1: That's right.
0: That's okay. right. So switching topics a little bit. Um, so we're big investors in, in digital health, but mm-hmm. what I've learned is everybody defines digital health yep. differently. It means yep. different things to different people. So mm-hmm. one, how do you define it, and two, where where are you in that ecosystem?
1: I don't know. I'm with you. It's 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 um, it's a little unclear to me too. And it's funny because. A lot of digital health companies, I think, are very focused on kind of medical components, right? And I don't know that Wealthy neatly fits into that. You know, when you look at like the diabetes solutions or the mental health solutions, women's health, uh, we're not involved in medical components of care. We're involved in more of the administrative and logistical aspects of care, so non-medical. Um, I think it's funny. Our investors are a little bit more kind of future, you know, future of work type investors. Yeah. Uh, less so. We don't have more. We don't have kind of as many health healthcare investors. Yeah. Investors.
0: Yeah. Work. So we're in a company called Alma, which is a mental health mm-hmm. company. We had led their Series A, and my partner Jordan's like super active on the board and. Cool. They're not different in the sense of they are facilitating mental health treatment mm-hmm. between therapists and insurers, mm-hmm. um, and yet we consider them digital health. I think mm-hmm. they, Harry Ritter, who's the CEO, considers himself yeah. digital health, right? So it's one of these things where it's just sort of although their investors are more on the healthcare side as a result.
1: Interesting, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I think when you're navigating between of healthcare providers and healthcare payers i think that makes makes sense i think we do we're sort of on the periphery of digital health in my mind
0: yeah yeah and it should It. it what's nice about digital health is it's one of those few issues that sort of transcends partisan politics right totally because like so whenever a governor comes to new york to raise money they have to pretend to do something substantive while they're in new york on their trip yeah. right and so sometimes i get a call like hey can you get a bunch of your startups when we talk about how do we get them to Texas or Idaho or New Jersey or whatever it is. I remember in the span of a couple of weeks, the incredibly right-wing governor and Greg Abbott, although he was less crazily right-wing back then, um, talked about how much he loves it because of rural constituents. And then Phil Murphy was governor of New Jersey, said he loves it. He came in the same thing because it brings down the cost of care and expands it to more people. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where you can actually kind of get stuff done politically around
1: it. It's it's so true. It's so interesting. We, um, we feel the same way. I mean, this is, you know, long-term care, child care. These are such, like, nonpartisan issues. Like, everybody wants to take care of their loved yeah. ones. Um, the interesting thing we've seen in our business is some of the recent events, you know, making us kind of um, just question kind of our our stance and whether we want to take a side. You know, for example, um, a bunch of our clients came to us around the Roe v. Wade decision and asking if we could support um, navigation mm-hmm. um, for employees of those who are impacted because that's what we do. We help employees navigate care and, yeah. uh, and all sorts of complicated care. And by the way, we help employees navigate controversial care, right? Like, yep. We've helped, you know, families have come to us questioning medical marijuana for a parent who's, you know, end-stage cancer and um, wanting to seek support that with that or um, right-to-life type of laws where, you know, we're supporting with assisted suicide type decisions. So we've experienced kind of, but the Roe v. Wade felt so different because it wasn't just controversial in a state, but, you know, it was so partisan feeling. So it was kind of our first time of not wanting to... um, really go there. Yeah,
0: it's a really, I mean mm-hmm. there's still no issue that, that is more third rail than that and look, it's, you know when Hugh and I were recording this morning, we were sort of debating on the midterms, what will the impact be of this mm-hmm. um, and I think at least our conclusion was in states where abortion is not going to be banned it might not have that big of a motivating factor. It might feel so like Kansas made sense right? because mm-hmm. it was specifically around that but if it's like are you going to turn out to vote for your congressman who doesn't even have any say over this? Like, I don't know how much it really impacts that. But this one, this is the one thing that kind of just terrorizes everybody. Um, so, yeah, so true. Yeah, so like I mentioned, I'm in my late 40s. My parents are in their mid to late 70s. They're pretty healthy so far. What are like the five things I should be watching out for so that I know, okay, here's what I need to pivot to, you know, something like wealthy?
1: So we're, we're actually in the process of launching this new kind of digital experience we're calling Care Planning because we have this belief that nobody plans for care. You plan for your death, you have a will, you don't plan for care and nobody talks about it. And so um, so yeah, that's coming soon in the next couple months but a couple things you, you should do. One is just have the tough conversation with your parents. Where are their finances? Um, getting getting a feel of, you know, Do they have significant savings enough to pay for, you know, a long-term care facility if that's the route they want to go? And understanding kind of when they might run out of money or, um, you know, what that might look like. You know, things like getting on Medicaid. Medicaid, different states have different look-back periods, but you can't, and we see this all the time, families coming to us, you know, with loved ones who have depleted their savings and looking for support immediately. And... Uh, it gets really complicated if you haven't planned ahead for that. So, I would have the tough, tough conversation about finances. Have the tough conversation about wishes. You know, having you know, understanding with your parents if they should need additional care support. Um, would they want to stay in their home? Would they want care brought into their home? Would they want to be in a supportive you know a supported living environment? What if one of them has more care needs than the other? Would they want to be in an environment? Uh, where where that the one you know the one gets more help. so understanding their wishes around care and and what that looks like in terms of staying in their home or yeah. or moving into a facility. Um, yeah, and the third thing is just um, you know planning ahead for kind of where all of the different kind of documents are power of attorney and living yeah. will and a will and where's that stored and what do we need to know about those documents um, before anything you know, any emergency should happen.
0: So do you think, you you had mentioned earlier how kind of the stigmatization of mental health declined and that's what sort of led to a much broader acceptance of it. That was the bet we made when we invested in in ALMA. there, There needs to be some sort of national reckoning and moment of, okay, we've got this massively aging population. At the very least, people should be doing A, B, C, D, and E. And yet... Other than me asking you on this podcast. Like, I don't know where you get that information. I'm fucking from. terrified
1: for our country. I'm so fucking terrified for our country. We are so unprepared. Nobody's talking about it. There's not enough resources. There's not enough supply. And yeah, I don't know what we're gonna do. So I do hope that there's some sort of destigmatizing, normalizing, broader societal awareness and conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're it's just not it's just not something people are comfortable talking about.
0: Yeah, you almost Um, need like a really popular TV show about it or something like that that starts to kind of break down the...
1: We're celebrities. Like I think mental health, the whole category benefited from the, you know, Michael Phelps and the Simone Biles coming out and talking about their own journey. We're seeing that, you know, Melinda French Gates has a massive um, push on caregiving. She sees it as like a massive, you know, like it's her thing, it's her destiny, it's her thing that she wants to focus on. Um, which is helpful. Sure. Um, we just need a couple more. I think a couple, couple more, more voices. Worth, worth yeah. that kind of money.
0: Yeah. yeah. and Our our friend Charlie Singer, in this case, of looking at Hugo, has a uh, nonprofit called Sounds of Saving, where he just gets um, musicians to to sort of record and kind of interact mm-hmm. and talk about you know their own experiences with potentially ending their lives, and it seems like it's helping a lot of people. Um, Remote work, so where it is today, forget about during the pandemic, but because, but you know, I, I, at least my office, I don't know what yours is like. It's like 50-50, I would say. Mm-hmm. Did that make caregiving harder or easier?
1: You know, a little bit of both. Um, so remote work, what we saw was... Um, it, some of the benefits, caregiving became more visible, right? Like right. it was more normal to be like, hold on, I have to get my kids sorted. I'm taking, yeah. my mom here. Let me, you know, like that became more comfortable, which was great for awareness. Um, I think it was really challenging for women. I mean, we're still, you know, it, what was it? Like 6 million women stepped out of the workforce and yeah. 2 million still haven't returned or, and and what you don't see in the data is people who have downshifted, right? Gone from full-time to part-time or declined a career advancement opportunity. I mean, you see it in the, you know, C-suite and boardrooms, right? There just aren't women, but that's kind of the trend is women women stepping out. Um, so that was challenging. Um, you know, I'll say like one of the things we saw as a trend for our business, we in the early days of Wealthy, we got like all the tech companies, like we have, you know, Facebook and Google and Salesforce and Oracle and HP and Cisco, they're all clients. And then we got like the professional services and the financial services. What the big shift we've seen is retail hospitality and healthcare companies. So in other words,
0: right. Yeah, essential
1: yeah. workers who didn't have the luxury of so, being hybrid. So in a
0: weird way COVID helped you because it tightened the labor market so much that that companies put a greater priority on retention, which meant what benefits can we offer to help retain people?
1: That and 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 then we saw a shift in companies that were willing to invest in caregiving support for their employees where, you know, like a company like Hilton just launched with us. And Hilton is very focused on caregiving support for their employees because caregiving is a major reason for missed shifts, late yeah. shifts, turnover, especially when you look at hotel staff. Same thing for Best Buy as a uh, client. And then we have a lot of hospitals now. You look at healthcare workers, You know they don't have the luxury of working from home. They yeah. have to show up for their shift. And often they're doing double duty caregiving at home, dealing with emotional labor at home, and de- dealing with emotional labor you know, in their place of work. And so it's really hard. So that's been the biggest shift we've seen
0: is... What about the military as a customer? Because if you think about it, their people are deployed all over the world, have the same issues as everyone else. And yeah, do you want your soldiers focused on what you want them doing or do you want them just constantly worried about what's happening that they can't help with back at home?
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, we don't work with the military directly, but we do work with actually some large defense contracting companies Mm -hmm. that employ... um, Because... what we see is veterans, there are separate issues. Um, you know, first of all, about half of veterans leave service with some sort of disability, uh, physical, mental uh, disability. And so ongoing management of that is is certainly challenging. All the care is covered and figured out when you're in the military. When you leave the military, you have to kind of yeah,
0: piece, piece, piece that all together. Yeah.
1: There are some weird kind of, um, you know, disconnects between like if you're still accessing TRICARE that kind of conflicts with an employer um, HSA and so there are weird kind of things that come out there yeah. and then oftentimes if people are still receiving benefits through the VA their dependents are not covered so there are cha- unique challenges for veterans that we see but one of the really interesting things we see is um, veteran spouses are um, a lot of the folks we hire as care coordinators
0: because they've kind of been through this before.
1: They've been through it. Um, a lot of them are. Uh, we we have a large number of social workers, and they love the flexible work. The ability they can move kind of with their family as you know they need to, and maintain their role with Wealthy. We don't care where they're where they're based. Right. Um, and so yeah, we got posted early on and on a couple of these like job boards for veteran spouses and ended up hiring a whole bunch of veteran spouses so it's That's a real great. area of passion for us yeah cool
0: um how do people learn more find out sign up for wealthy
1: yeah so um wealthy.com w-e-l-l-t-h-y um and we do ha- have uh, private pay so you can yep. sign up and receive yep. care for your family but um, our main focus is on employee. working with employers. Right, so
0: actually, then one more question. Sure. What's the most, when, when someone learns about wealthy and they want their employer to you know? do this, what's their most, what, what are arguments have you found that are most effective in persuading HR to cover?
1: Well, if it, you know, the most powerful thing is for employees of that company to approach their benefits team and say, I need this benefit for my own family. Um, you know, that goes a long way. We've actually had, um, we've heard of employees who are switching jobs and leaving right. a company where they had access to Wealthy and as part of their interview process, asking for Wealthy yeah. um, because they feel it's critical for them to be able to come to work and be productive. Um, but yeah, benefit, we find benefits leaders are listening to their constituents and care about what their employees' needs are. So you know, even though most people don't feel comfortable sharing their caregiving situation, I think the more we can share, the better uh, support we can provide to, to folks. So yeah. Cool. All right. Ask, ask for it. Go, go
0: ask your HR people. Yeah. Thank you, Lizzie.
1: Thank you.